Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, my guests are DeMarco Davidson, the voter program lead at Metropolitan Congregations United, and Marcus Wynn, the Kansas organizer for Metro Organization for Racial and Economic Equity based out of Kansas City. So welcome, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Marcus, why don't you get us started off, uh, since we're not as familiar on this side of the state with your organization, tell us what it is and, and what you do. So uh, Metro Organization for Racial and Economic Equity is a mouthful. Uh, it's also known locally as More Squared. Um, we are um, a sibling organization to MCU in St. Louis. We're a local affiliate in Kansas City for the National Gamaliel Network, uh, which of course has um, 44, 45 or so, give or take, uh, affiliates around the country. Um, we are proud to be uh, a national network that uh, boasts uh, Barack Obama as a former community organizer. Uh, More Squared in Kansas City has been around for 15 years this year. Um, we've worked on everything from education to transportation to policing to immigration uh, in our local Kansas City context. Um, basically, um, what we work on is what's in our name, racial and economic equity. And so that is a, uh, a wide purview of, of issues, but... Um, we're really proud. I think uh, I'm really proud to work for More Squared. I think we we are a small but mighty and effective organization. Um, we have a long list of achievements, um, and we hope to continue to build on. So today we're going to talk about some voter engagement efforts for this fall. It's going to be a big fall for everybody involved. Um, a couple of weeks ago on August 15th, the two organizations held a joint Faith Voices training. DeMarco, you opened the session with a reflection on the connections between faith, voting, and the extreme and sometimes violent means of stopping people from voting. Can you share with us a few of those thoughts that you had? Yes. Uh, thank you for asking, Kevin. Uh, and, and so we, when we had our training, we actually had uh, several uh, congregations from across, uh, across the, the Midwest, really, uh, of course, Missouri and Kansas uh, congregations come on. And so we opened up and we shared briefly just the, 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 the power of voting and, and how it is sometimes uh, weaponized uh, against people or, or, or even the, the aspect of not voting is weaponized. Uh, when we look at uh, voting in, in, in its purest form, it, it is literally just making sure that people's voices, what their, what their desires are, what their self-interest is, is, and, when it comes to how the vote has been suppressed or been denied by so many different communities, uh, we start seeing how uh, when, when people are, uh, sub, when their vote is suppressed, it opens them up to unfortunately oppression. Uh, and we look at, we don't, of course we can look throughout history, but we can look recently 
even as of uh, in the time of this recording yesterday uh, in the state of Tennessee, where the uh, the governor just signed a bill that said if you are involved in certain types of protests, you can lose your right to vote. Uh, so we are starting to see these type of laws pop up and it's going to take the community, it's going to take congregations, it's going to take uh, people of faith uh, to, to actually organize, to, uh, to make sure that make sure their families and their friends, their loved ones are getting out to vote to counteract these type of policies. Uh, and that's the connection that I normally make is that uh, community violence, and police violence are measurable, manifest measurable manifestations from policy violence. Uh, it, again, we can look at where the, the budgets are, even how they suggest that. Um, we, we, some people don't like to hear the, the phrase, defund the police. It is, a, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is a jarring phrase on purpose. Uh, but how often do we say defund education? Well, that's what happens when some politicians or some uh, political parties uh, focus on removing a certain amount of money from public education. It's defunding education, defunding public education. And we can, we know what's going to happen. We see, we can again, statistically look at, well, when we, when we decrease the amount of that we're investing in education or increase, decrease the amount that we're investing in infrastructure or transportation, violence increases, unfortunately. Uh, so those are some of the things that we we connect and we see is happening uh, and therefore if we can't change the policies then we should we should be focused on changing the people who are responsible for the policies and vice versa so therefore the vote is definitely needed in order to make the changes that we want to see in the world now we use a process we're working with a process right now both organizations called integrated voter engagement or IVE what is IVE and how is that different from just get out the vote that we usually hear about? Yeah, it, um, it shares a lot in common. Um, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, DeMarco and I both have previously worked in more partisan contexts. Uh, both MCU and More Squared are 501c3 nonpartisan organizations. Um, what I would say is, you know, when I was working for candidates, uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing. We need good staff and we need good candidates who are running for office um, on the partisan side. However, most of our time spent um, interacting with voters was very transactional. It was, can I get you to a yes? Are you going to vote for my person? Um, and if so, do you have a plan to go turn out? Uh, I would actually do the math as a field director of how much time did you spend at each door? Um, if, if it got too high, we would, we would actually do an intervention of like, how can we speed this up and make it more efficient? Um, and that's fine. That's what the role is when you're running for office. You have to, the, the elections are set up in a way that you have to play the game that way to win. Um, and if we want to change the rules, we got to at least get our foot in the door and, and win some seats. Um, what we do through integrated voter engagement is say, you know, um, voting is not just about who wins or loses an election. That's a, an important consequence, but um, voting is so much more than that. Um, we are engaged in voting 
as an organization because it is one of the 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 areas of public life where we have the opportunity to actually shift the balance of power. So where I live and work is Wyandotte County, Kansas, uh, right over the border from Kansas City, Missouri. I can see downtown from my front porch, um, but in the state of Kansas. And um, we've done the math. Um, people of color collectively make up nearly 60% of the county where I live. 60%. However, in November of 2016, people of color made up less than 37% of the ballots that were cast in the last presidential cycle. So that gap from 37% to 60% is an imbalance of power. And, and what we want is to close that gap. We want everybody to have an equal say. We want power to be shared and not hoarded uh, amongst a, a small group of people. So we engage people, um, we do many of the same things. We do phone banking, we do door to door when we're not in the middle of a pandemic. We, we do education around certain issues, um, but we try to build relationships uh, that will outlast the, the current electoral campaign. We wanna go back to people. We, we wanna say, not just, are you gonna go vote this November, but what do you care about? What, what would you like to change? And, you know, if, if your values align with us, would you be interested in, in taking some leadership? We would like to work with you. We would like to work alongside you uh, and give you the training necessary. We want you to feel supported. We don't want to feel, throw you in the deep end, but um, we, our job is to really uh, train and equip and work alongside people to um, not to be their voices for them, but to, to raise up their voices for themselves. So how does something like that sort of affect cynicism? It, it, it feels like it's gonna have a, an impact on that. It, and how is cynicism almost another form of voter suppression? Yeah, so uh, excellent question, right? Cause I mean, right now we are dealing with, uh, you log on to anybody's social media uh, you will see that many people are saying, oh, we don't like these candidates. We don't like either of the party. Uh, we don't like any of the candidates, you know, type thing. Um, so um, a couple of things. One, uh, I'm, I'm, I constantly encourage people to not just get involved in the year of the election for one. So therefore, vote, integrated voter engagement, IVE, definitely does that. It brings about working towards building a relationship with the voters all year round, not just when it comes to candidates uh, and not just when it comes to just one particular policy or one particular thing. Uh, in 2018, we saw a huge amount of energy around uh, vote no on Prop A. Uh, and, and then we saw a bunch of energy around uh, raising minimum wage and, uh, and clean Missouri. And, but then uh, after the, that election, the following election, the local election we had, uh, the, the voting percentage dropped down drastically. There were people who were only engaged for just this, just that moment, but when other local elections come up, they're not engaged. Well, the issue is that it's the local people that make the biggest change, the biggest decisions on how our life is impacted. And uh, the, the, actually the election that had a low voter turnout was the St. Louis City uh, President Board of Aldermen. Uh, so we had some really high turnouts for 
for the uh, for the uh, 2018 elections, uh, but then really low turnouts in March 2019. But the people here, the local election makes a big a big difference. So therefore, when when I converse with people, I ask them, uh, when was the last time you voted? And if they say, oh, the last presidential election, that lets me know that there's a there's a place where we can actually develop a relationship to keep them to, to get them engaged for a long term uh, as well. And then secondly, of course, again, like some people just don't uh, right now, there's a huge level of independent voters. Uh, they don't like you. They sometimes they don't like the parties, but they also understand that, uh, uh, that, that, that you have to make sure you get people engaged early on, uh, and, and, and continue to build statewide power. Uh, cause that's for when it comes to the presidential election, that's how the president is elected by each state, and whether they won that state or not in the electoral college, uh, so you know it's it's encouraging to, to keep to get people engaged with integrated voter engagement, uh, and that way you can continue building and then also focusing on the local elections, which makes the biggest difference in everybody's daily lives as well. Like yes, we do we do care about who's at who who get who wins, uh, but we care more about the community winning. Integrated voter engagement is a way that people can get involved and engaged. Uh, to start making those challenge those those decisions, and when politicians and even other uh, organizations start seeing that uh, that that this community turns out to vote, uh, to to not just in the presidential election, but even in March or even in August or even in whatever other election, those communities begin to receive more attention, more information, more more uh, care and concern. Uh, so therefore, again, more resources. That's and that's and that's usually one of the main things that we you know try that we work that we work on to build power in the public sphere. Marcus, you said something in our training a couple of weeks ago that more information has little impact, little impact on voter decisions. Uh, I found that just a, a fascinating statement. Why, why do you think that is, and how does IVE uh, tend to be a more effective way to mo- motivate voters? Uh, that's a that's often a really controversial. <laughs> statement, right? Uh, everybody wants to talk about voter education. Uh, and there's there's good reason to do that. And I certainly am not opposed to educated voters. I want our voters to be educated on the issues, on the candidates. Um, I think the origin of that is, um, you know, I mentioned that uh, I've worked on the partisan side and I'm a bit of a nerd. I, I'll admit it. I, I do a lot of research on on the best practices, on um, you know, it's no surprise to folks that there's a lot of money and research going into how to win elections, <laughs> how to move voters and persuade them. Um, and so one of the, the data points that usually comes out is asking why, why do non-voters not vote? If we ask them, they'll usually say, well, I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I know enough. Um, Which is informative. Uh, And you might take from that, like, well, if we tell people more information, they're they're more likely to go vote. The same studies, however, will will say, um, we go back to those same people. We share a lot of information. We say, like, what don't you know? What do you need to know? share it all with them, their patterns of behavior are almost exactly the same as they were before. It does not move non-voters to go vote. What moves non-voters to go vote, the data says is clear, is relationship. 
takes a conversation. So, um, you know, I, I always say that a little provocatively to try to get a rise out of people. Uh, you know, information is not power. Uh, it, it does not, if it were, we would have different, um, We'd certainly have different climate policy. We, we have the data. We know the information. We'd have different criminal justice policy. We know that tough on crime doesn't work. It's a waste of money. Um, we'd have all sorts of different policy if information were in itself power. Uh, what's powerful is when folks get organized, when they start coming together. And what moves non-voters to vote is when people they know ask them or when people who they don't know take the time to actually build long-term powerful public relationships. And so, um, you know, I know a cornerstone of both of the efforts in St. Louis and Kansas city is not only to, to get our own, our own houses in order. Uh, we both organize a, a, among communities of faith. Um, and so making sure I met with, um, representatives from the Missionary Baptists here in Kansas City, Kansas last night, uh, they have a goal. I'm going to put this out in public. Uh, they want a hundred churches locally to commit to uh, getting a hundred percent who are eligible within their membership registered and turned out to vote this November. That's a big, that's a big relational uh, thing, but they also, they got, Oh, I don't know. Uh, uh, over 70 churches, I think, to participate uh, in a in a public action around um, racism in the community earlier this year. So to get to 100 is not unthinkable. Um, and they have the relationships to do so. And what I told them last night was, you know, we need to do the internal work of working on the existing relationships and then if we've got more time, we should work on external relationships um, and we can do the work of, you know, targeting voters who live within five blocks of your congregation, for instance, and saying, let's start building relationships. Let's talk about this election this November, but let's also think ahead. Let's, um, let's not drop it come November. That's good for your local congregation, but it's also good for the, the, uh, the health of local democracy in our community as well. DeMarco, that'll roll into my next question for you. Um, on our side of the state, we're calling it Sacred Votes 2020. So what are the steps that we're looking at to start building these relationships over the next couple of months? Okay, so first, I just got to uh, commend and, and, and salute uh, uh, Marcus and the rest of the team at Moore Squared over on the, on the west side of Missouri and east side of Kansas. Uh, for working towards that. And, and this is one of the great things about organizing and building statewide power to, to collaborate with other organizations that are, uh, are, 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 are progressively and, and, and positively agitating uh, our congregations to get involved. And, and so here, over here in East St. On, on St. Louis, uh, we actually are, uh, have rolled out uh, over several months now uh, the uh, Sacred Votes 2020, where we are working towards uh, getting at least 20 congregations in low voter turnout areas to actually increase the voter turnout by at least 20%. Uh, and we already have the numbers. We already have the statistics. Like, as Mark has shared, we know the numbers. We know the areas. We know the zip codes. We know the precincts. We know the polling place. So now it's just a matter of making sure those congregations, one, like Mark has shared, 
take care of it, you know, take care of home first, make sure everybody's taken care of in the, in the congregation uh, as far as the registration, and, and then go, uh, uh, go out to a certain amount of, of, of a distance uh, to make sure that that precinct uh, receives the attention uh, that needs to, to, again, knock on the doors or, or even just leave something or to work towards building a relationship or to make a phone call uh, in these communities where the voter turnout is low. And what we found, Kevin, is that the same areas that have a low voter turnout usually have a low census count. So we'll be, not, we'll be actually knocking on those doors or making those phone calls first to encourage people to do census, to do, take care of the census, to make sure everybody is registered in their homes uh, for, to vote, and then to turn out the vote. So it's pretty much three steps. Um, and we have that process and is, is going well already. Uh, and we're, we're also coming off of the momentum that we re, that we gained from winning Medicaid expansion. Uh, we were already making phone calls. Thank you. We were already making phone calls and knocking on doors. Uh, we got to get you over to Kansas and get that get that over here as well. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We do, we do. So um, and so, I mean, we we are excited uh, about this upcoming election. Uh, and, and, and even the uh, the the, the previous uh, local elections have been major turnout uh, activities, uh, and that's what we will just continue to do. So again, the the top three things is checking on the uh, the census areas uh, and work, working with those voters to make sure they take care of their census, uh, making sure people register, and then making sure they turn out the vote. And that's just for the November election. And because we do integrated voter engagement, we don't stop just at one election. We continue to build the relationship. And so after this, we do plan on uh, uh, engaging those voters in those low voter turnout areas. Uh, so hopefully next year or next the next election, which we do have a mayoral race coming up, those, those same areas that have a low voter turnout will not be low anymore. Uh, we can also, so without going too much detail, in St. Louis City, we see how uh, the Delmore divide is still very true, even when it comes to voting and how the south side of St. Louis City, uh, there's a, there are, there's like sometimes there could be one ward on the south side of St. Louis City that has more people to vote in that one ward than about three or four wards on the north side of St. Louis City. Uh, and therefore, the, again, the more people that's voting, the more people that's showing up, the more resources that are going to those areas. And so the disparity continues. So it's up to the community uh, is up to the, uh, our, our partners that we partner with when it comes to take care of these matters to make it happen for these communities. Uh, and again, we're not going in and being long ranges or helpers. We are looking and, and engaging with the community so they can lift themselves lift themselves up and lift up, lift up their community and their needs in the community. Marcus, are there any other uh, detailed things that you guys are trying to do on your side of, of the state for this fall? Yeah, for this fall, um, you know, that that 100 churches thing really that was, that was not mine they they kind of sprung that on me um our plan for this fall is is really to try to to do something very similar to what uh, mcu in st louis is doing we're we're joining the the campaign sacred votes 2020 um we're challenging our member congregations to adopt their precinct uh and boost turnout by 20 percent um we're we have a number in mind. We're hopeful that um, that we can get enough congregations on board who will develop their own custom tailored local congregational plan uh, that we can 
do out, successful outreach, whether, you know, door to door, it's probably going to be a lot of phone banking and text banking given our environment. Uh, but we would like to do successful outreach to 30,000 across the Kansas City region. Uh, we have that number in mind. Uh, I think we can get there. We've done um, similar work around the census. Um, you know, millions of dollars are at stake for local communities that are already under-resourced, that are already marginalized um, due to a number of reasons, including classism and systemic racism uh, in our state governments. Um, so, you know, at More Squared, we've We've talked to, we've done outreach to, um, oh goodness, at least 15,000 over the phone during the pandemic around census participation. Uh, so we'd like to follow up, continue building those relationships with local folks um, and really touch double that, 30,000 at least um, in November, before, from now, from till November of 2020. Okay, great. Those both sound like uh, great programs, and we look forward to, to seeing the success of that af afterwards. So let's take it beyond November. Um, I'm just kind of going to pull it all together um, uh, before we, we sign off for today. But what, what are the steps, and, and, and how do we organize um, after an election like November, which is going to – all eyes are going to be on everything, and there's going to be sort of a political, you know, let down after that. So what are we doing? And then, then, then what are some of the steps of organizing around issues instead of, uh, you know, this, this carnival that happens once every four years? I think, you know, DeMarco already mentioned that uh, there are campaigns that come after November 2020. Uh, of course, you know, folks are paying attention to that and for good reason. Um, but it's also taking a lot of oxygen out of the room. Um, we, you know, where I live and work in Wyandotte County, Kansas, we have um, a mayoral election that will be very consequential, I believe, in November of 2021. Um, I think about these numbers, like, you know, our community has about 165,000 residents. Um, so it's, a, you know, it's not as big as Kansas City, Missouri. We've got a bit of a chip on our shoulder, um, but it's not small. Uh, however, if you look back, if you, if you do the analysis, uh, the last mayoral election, uh, it's three years ago um, now, it was decided by 834 votes. So 165,000 seems like a lot. 834 is not that many. Um, you know, we, we've already talked to 15,000 people in this community this year. We wanna to talk to 30,000 total. Um, 834, is certainly within within reach uh and so we have we have a lot of things that are at stake local policing issues uh are huge in our community we have uh a deep divide around race and policing where in in my community um we got a lot of work to do uh and historically the the police union has called all the shots um We've seen in, there was just a recent district attorney's race where the FOP, um, their endorsement lost. Uh, so that's an interesting development. Um, things are shifting uh, and it's gonna be interesting to see how those shifts play out in, in other races, 
but it's also bigger than who wins or loses elections. What, what are the consequences for our issues? Will, the, will there be independent structures of accountability, for instance, that can pass county commission, get funding in the budget process, that sort of thing? We also, we are locked in a years long battle around um, a proposal called Safe and Welcoming Wyandotte, which we are proudly uh, a steering committee member of. There are over 30 local community organizations that have signed on to this effort that would one, create uh, an accessible and affordable community uh, municipal ID for any resident of the county and create strict boundaries between local law enforcement and ICE uh, and require ICE to provide a judicial warrant to receive any sort of information from local law enforcement. Um, so, you know, it's ironic that we spend so much time paying attention to these national races that, you know, frankly, um, Kansas may not, if, if we follow historical trends, we might not be that big of a player in. Um, we're pretty solid Republican state in the electoral college. So we're spending all this time paying attention to the presidential election while actually what affects our day to day are these, these local issues where um, who wins and loses might hinge on less than a thousand votes. And so we have the potential to be really powerful and influential in the daily life of of people who who live in our neighborhoods, um, and I think if we if we choose to to continue down this path of really pursuing integrated voter engagement and its full scope of potential, um, you know we we have the power to really affect some change that is life and death for some folks, and um, and that's why I'm excited and why I continue to do this work. Yep, yep. Following right up with after Marcus uh, again, like it's it's a it's it's plenty of work to be done. Uh, we have uh, the, the again another mayoral election coming up, and just very similar to Wyandotte County, uh, St. Louis City's mayoral election. The last one came out to a difference of eight hundred and eighty-eight votes. Uh, so, yep, that yep. So and, and but again, it was a low voter turnout, and it was a huge amount. It was a nice amount of people. That was in the race too. That, that split some votes. Uh, so, you know, we'll definitely be uh, being involved in that because uh, we see what happens. We see what happens when we get involved. Uh, we actually did a candidate forum this past uh, August for all mayoral candidates who wanted to participate. We reached out to all of them. Some did not reach respond. Some did. We interviewed each one individually, and we and they all of them had access to the interview. And it's, it's interesting to see how uh, one of the candidates took the video that, of, our, of the interview that we did with them and put it on their page. Um, that candidate won. That candidate won. Um, and it, it, and it, was, it was somewhat of a surprise to some people. Uh, but we see the power of, especially now with technology, uh, how influential it can be. Or, or again, when people say, I don't have enough information. For those who are seeking out, and people are now starting to see the difference, uh, especially when you have organizations knocking on doors and asking questions and asking, what would you like done differently in your community? We're not a candidate. We're not going to make any campaign promises. We're going to build you up so you can make these changes. 
candidates listen differently. Uh, so the St. Louis City mayoral election uh, is coming up and just, and again, very similar, the, uh, the Fraternal Order of Police uh, candidate, the candidate that they, that they supported for St. Louis Secretary Attorney lost. The people, per, the, the, the candidate that, the, that the many of the people, clearly many people in St. Louis City wanted, won. So we have those type of uh, things still going on and, and, and certain battles uh, with, with between who's being lifted up as uh, a law and order candidates type thing uh, versus those who are actually working on making changes. So the St. Louis City mayor election, uh, several other elections, uh, uh, we also are looking into still doing unlock the vote uh, to restore the voting rights for people who are formerly incarcerated and who are currently on parole or probation. Uh, we we truly believe that uh, uh, if if you are if you have to pay taxes and be and we expect people to be rehabilitated uh, and I'm doing air quotes when I say rehabilitated uh, and, and and be a productive citizen and they should be able to have the right to vote. Especially again, it, it makes sense to me if a parent can if a parent can actually vote on the school board where their children go to. Uh, but if they can't, then they're in the, again if their vote is taken away from them. Uh, and therefore, it becomes a privilege. Uh, uh, but if their vote is taken away, then their voice is silenced as well. So we, we continue to work on Unlock the Vote to get that, uh, to work on that, pick up where we left off from that, and several other policy changes, um, especially when it comes to uh, education reform uh, and policing reform. Okay. And it seems to me like there's been a couple of things happening recently that have shown that in between the elections, the politicians are starting to pay attention. Uh, so one of the things that pops to my mind is closing the workhouse here in St. Louis. Uh, yes. that, that was not decided at the ballot box. It was decided in the board of aldermen, but there's been a shift in, in how they're paying attention. Yes, definitely. Uh, again, cause I mean, it's just, it's just incredible all of the different organizations that are, are, are becoming more clear on their self-interest and how we, how they partner up with other organizations so the how uh, the close workhouse campaign uh, was actually uh, birthed from several other organizations getting coming together and saying, "Hey, this is an issue that we got to figure out." Uh, and we saw, and again, the budget, the money was there. There's a huge amount of money going towards this medium security prison, and we recognized that that money could be going towards something else uh, to better benefit the community. So we won't keep sending people uh, to the workhouse. Uh, and there's already a, a, a brand new jail that was created that actually had room for people there as well. So why are we really keeping this open? And it was just a consistent, constant pressure, a strategic campaign by some amazing organizers. Uh, I don't want to start naming names because I will forget one, uh, but just so many different organizations coming that came together. Uh, MCU, uh, we did not work super directly on Close the Workhouse, but we definitely supported each and every organization uh, that worked on that, and whenever they would send us stuff, we would share it uh, with our base as well. Uh, and the, again, so therefore, the narrative is changing on 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 policing, uh, or, or 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 justice. More importantly, like the narrative of justice, like how are we actually instituting justice instead of instituting just criminalizing just criminalizing everything? So I think that's one of the things that's happening, and and many other organizations are coming together across the country. Uh, to build and to organize the bases locally. Okay, great. Yeah. Hey, this is like a really important point of what distinguishes our strategy and our philosophy of integrated voter engagement uh, 
Um, it's not about seeking policy change through eliciting pity or building buddy-buddy relationships with elected officials. Mm -hmm. it, and like, it's also not creating unnecessary enemies, but it's saying like, we're gonna get organized in a way that you're gonna give us a seat at the table, whether you like it or not, because we, we are your constituents and you have to pay attention to us. We are equal partners here and we're not gonna act like we're subservient. And so I think a lot of the shifts that we see, um, both in like locally at a local level as well as nationally uh, across the country, we're starting to see these shifts in, in narrative and, and just an opening of what, what is actually imaginable and possible. I think it's, it's people getting fed up with this idea that like, well, we have to crawl on our hands and knees and beg for some like crumbs of change. Well, no, like if we actually come together, if we recognize that our self-interest overlaps and we have, we have a lot more power together than we do separately, then, um, you know, I don't, seek out confrontational relationships with elected officials, but I'm also not going to walk in uh, begging. I'm going to walk in with my head, with my head held high and say, you know, I'm an organizer representing dozens of leaders who represent hundreds, if not thousands of your constituents. And so you need to pay attention. And if you don't do what we ask, we're, we're going to come for you. There's nothing personal about it, but we're going to hold you accountable. Doesn't matter what the party is that you're a part of. Doesn't matter. I might like you as a person, but our job is to hold you accountable. All right. Great. That's a, that's a great final word. And before we uh, close out the program, uh, Marcus, I have our information, our contact information that I give at the end of the show. Go ahead and give your contact information for more squared. Yeah, thank you. If you want to learn more about More Squared, you can visit uh, more2.org, M-O-R-E-2, uh, and you can contact me at marcus at more2.org. Hey, great. Thank you, gentlemen, for taking the time to talk with us this afternoon. Um, if you want to learn more about MCU, go to Metropolitan Congregations United website at mcustlewis.org. Also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram for news and events, and that's how you can find out how to participate in these activities. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening. Thank you.